Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Botte in Washington. Today is Tuesday, October 11, and here are some of the stories we are covering. A newly formed political party wins Lesotho's parliamentary elections. We are coming in with a message that uh, we need to promote a government that is responsible in this country at this point in time. We'll speak with a female candidate who just won a seat in parliament. Tanzania and Kenya agreed to remove barriers to a controversial gas pipeline project. Kenya ships first batches of batteries and tea under a continental trade pact. Malawi announces the rollout of Africa's first malaria vaccine for children. A Liberian human rights advocate welcomes the trial in France of an alleged war criminal. This is a great day for victims of the Liberian civil war, especially the people of local counties where many of these crimes were committed. And refugees seek legal assistance in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Soto, the newly formed Revolution for Prosperity Party, or RFP, says it's on course to form the next government that would make its founder and international businessman Samuel Matekane the next prime minister of the Southern African Kingdom. Markiti Shedile, a spokesman for the RFP, says the party promises to deliver on its core message, including a focus on good governance, food security, agriculture, healthcare expansion, and pharmaceutical production. For more reaction to the party's performance in last Friday's election, viewers Peter Clotty reached party spokesperson Markiti Shedile. We are coming in with a message that uh, we need to promote a government that is responsible at this point in time. Uh, the government cannot really even function as a government. They cannot even pay their civil service, uh, their monthly wages uh, on a regular basis at certain times. So there has been lack of transparency, lack of accountability, quite a lot of things that are going wrong in this country. And uh, we are coming with a message that uh, we have a very highly successful international business person who's uh, here to actually make amends and make change for the better. But a lot of the political parties also had messages. What made you stand out? Is it because of the influence of Mr. Matekane being a businessman and popular with his philanthropical work? Is that what made the difference? It is, uh, for the most part, because the public, they know him, they trust him. Uh, this is a man, uh, once COVID uh, was running rampant across the country and the whole government was paralyzed. Uh, he was able to make sure he secured agreements with other business people. He was able to ensure that uh, there is also oxygen uh, within the country. So uh, it is in big part because of who he is. But like I'm saying, the public is actually very tired of a government that does not perform. Uh, the other one that I want to highlight is that uh, his team, uh, his executive team, I'm not saying that extends to people from the constituencies, but those that are going to be his core team when he governs. It's not a brand of a politician that is in his politics because they need to have a nine-to-five job, which is a problem in this country. Our politicians, they are actually individuals that are seeking employment. They are not uh, here to serve. They, they are basically employees running as politicians, which is a problem. How does your party plan 
to deliver on these promises because some of these promises have been made before, but they were not carried out due to uh, some of the political challenges in Lesotho. What is going to be different this time, if I may ask you? We are coming in strong. Yes, we don't have an outward majority, but we are significantly um, much more represented in Parliament than any other time in the recent past. So that's on its own. It is a plus. The other thing that uh, we are bringing, uh, and you are absolutely right, actually, uh, this country has got the same problems that all the parties know, and they are proposing similar solutions, that um, we are running on a platform of implementation. The problem with this country is not uh, planning, but is implementation. So within our manifesto, we are very clear that uh, we have to have a system by which the prime minister will have a unit within his um, ambit and monitor performance of every cabinet minister and those cabinet ministers of course they'll have to monitor the performance of their directors and so on and so forth Mokite Shedele is the spokesperson for Lesotho's Victorious Revolution for Prosperity or RFP party he was speaking with viewers Peter Clotty from the capital Maseru one of the 660 women who participated in Lesotho's October 7th parliamentary elections and whom we featured on this program says she won a seat to parliament. Mashabani Lezia is the leader of the Hope Party and had wanted to be the first female prime minister of the Mountain Kingdom. Lesotho's Independent Electoral Commission announced final results on Monday showing that businessman Samuel Matekani's Revolution for Prosperity or RFP party won 56 of 120 constituencies. But Matekani must form a coalition government because he did not win the 61 seat majority required. Newly elected parliament member Lezia tells me she owes her victory to rural voters. You see, on Sunday, most of the numbers that were coming in were the numbers from the urban constituencies. If you know our country has the lowlands, the highlands, and most constituencies are in the lowlands, the urban areas, after the new demarcation this year. When we went for elections this year, we had a new demarcation of the constituencies. So that made the urban areas to have more constituencies than the rural areas. So we didn't do that well in the urban area. But in the rural areas, we've got more numbers. The constituencies in the rural areas came in last. So that's why we had um, more numbers than in the urban areas. But if you were listening on Sunday, when they were reading the numbers from the urban constituencies, you could really lose hope. And the numbers were so low. When we last spoke also, you mentioned something about proportional representation. First of all, besides you being elected, how did women do generally in the election? When we went for elections, we had about nine women-led parties. In this 11th parliament, we are going to have a very low representation of women because we have the proportional seats. We have 40 of them. The party that came out with the majority constituencies did not get any allocation of seats in the, in the PR portion, the 40 seats. They didn't get any. So if they had uh, women candidates, they should have won the constituencies. But I think we are going to have a bigger number of, of men than women in this 11th parliament. As for women that are political party leaders, all of them make it to parliament 
accept as myself. So in terms of figures that made it to parliament, I'm the only woman. But the other women come either through the peer list of their parties and those that won the constituencies in the leading party. I understand the person that is supposed to be the new prime minister, probably he's coming from a new political party or he's new to politics. What kind of a relationship uh, do you hope to be having with him in parliament? Yes, he is very new to politics. Look, James, I am open to working with anyone who wishes to advance Lesotho from where it is now. I would have a problem working with people who our policies taking from our manifesto. We are not going to go into any partnership with anyone who did not have that kind of majority that he has. We believe that he has to be given a chance. He has to be supported. We will be on the opposition side, but not really to destroy the guy. Let me say again, congratulations on being elected to parliament and congratulations to the women of Lesotho. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, James. Mashabani Lezia is the leader of the Hope Party, who just won a seat in Parliament in Lesotho. She was speaking with us from the capital, Maseru. A Liberian human rights campaigner has welcomed the start of the trial of an alleged former Liberian war criminal. The trial of Kuti Kamara, a.k.a. Kuti K, began Monday in Paris, France. He is a former commander of the United Liberation Movement of Liberia, also known as ULIMO, one of the several rebel groups in Liberia's first civil war that took place from 1989 to 1996. The 48-year-old Kuti K is being tried for alleged crimes of torture, cannibalism, and other crimes against humanity, including sexual violence. One local Liberian media report citing the indictment said Kutike denied the allegations in the early phase of the investigation. Hassan Belite is the director of the Liberia-based Global Justice and Research Project. His organization has been working with international human rights groups to identify former Liberian war laws and alleged war criminals. He tells me the trial of Kutike is good news for victims of the alleged crimes who have for years been urging their government to prosecute alleged war criminals. First of all, I think uh, this is great news for Liberia because some of these trials had lingered on for a while. But the most important thing, this is a great day for victims of the Liberian civil war, especially the people of Luba County, where many of these crimes were committed specifically in the foyer district area. So we, we think that this is a good sign that other jurisdictions in Western Europe have opened up to prosecute some of these cases. You said particularly the people of Lofa County where the alleged crimes were committed. What sort of crimes are we talking about? General, I'm not going to go into details, sir, but these are war-related crimes, war crimes, crimes against humanity. So war crimes, by definition are violations of international humanitarian laws during armed conflict. And crimes against humanity were, we believe, also committed in that area. Not just by one faction, but almost all of the factions that operated in local county. Now, what role did your organization play in Mr. Kuti Kamara being put on trial? Did you play any role? Yeah, first of all, what, what the GGRP does here in Liberia is to document war-related crimes 
and identify jurisdictions either in Western Europe or North America or anywhere that prosecution can be uh, possible and refer to authorities in those countries and those jurisdictions will come to Liberia, conduct independent investigation of said crimes, and if they do it necessarily, if they think that it found sufficient pieces of evidence, then they can move on from there. And we do that with our sister organization called Civitas Nacional, based in Geneva, Switzerland. Now, this trial is taking place as there are growing calls for the establishment of war crimes court in Liberia. What is your view on that? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the reason we are doing what we are doing is that the government of Liberia is either unwilling or unable to create a prosecutorial system in Liberia to implement the recommendations of the TRC. So we realize that under universal jurisdiction that other countries can also investigate, arrest, and prosecute suspected war criminals. And this is so because war crimes are international crimes. So they can be prosecuted any place, any time, and there is no statute of limitations to the investigation and prosecution of these crimes. So we are happy, but we are also called on President George not to allow himself to go away to Syria from his pre-camp, pre-election promises to the Liberian people to set up uh, a workers' court or to implement fully the recommendations of Liberia's Truth and Reconciliation Commission's recommendations. Hassan Belete is director of the Liberia-based Global Justice and Research Project. He was speaking with us from the Liberian capital, Monrovia. listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, October 11th. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Presidents of Tanzania and Kenya have agreed to fast-track construction of a natural gas pipeline designed to increase trade and lower energy costs for both countries. Charles Kumbe reports from Dar es Salaam. The decision was reached Monday at State House in Dar es Salaam during bilateral talks led by Tanzanian President Samia Hassan and Kenya President William Ruto during a two-day visit. We will now expedite the gas pipeline from Dar es Salaam to Mombasa and eventually to Nairobi so that we can use the resources that we have in our region to lower energy tariffs both for industry and for commercial purposes and domestic use. Last year, President Hassan and former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta signed an agreement in Nairobi to start working on the gas pipeline project, but actual construction has yet to commence. The two countries have generally maintained positive ties in politics and trade, but have occasional trade spurs. Tanzania imposed a 25% import duty 
on Kenyan confessions in 2020, saying the country used zero-related industrial sugar imports to produce them. In another dispute, Kenya banned Tanzanian tour vans from assessing the Maasai Mara National Reserve, urging that Tanzania had banned Kenyan operators from assessing the Serengeti National Park. These differences, however, were resolved when Tanzania's Hassan visited Nairobi last year to meet with Kenyatta. Hassan said, we asked our experts to work on trade barriers between Tanzania and Kenya, and they identified 68 barriers. 54 non-tariff barriers were resolved, and 14 barriers remain. The president added, we have asked our ministers in the trade and investment sector to immediately meet and work to resolve the remaining barriers. The projected natural gas pipeline would run for about 600 kilometers between Dar es Salaam and Mombasa. There is no projected completion date yet. Charles Kombe, for VOA News, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. In the past two weeks, Kenya has taken full advantage of a pilot program by the Africa Continental Free Trade Area, which aims to facilitate and increase commerce across Africa. The East African country shipped its first batches of locally made car batteries and tea to Ghana. The countries are among eight who are taking part in this trial phase. VOA correspondent Maria Mandialo visited battery-making company ABM and reports from Nairobi. 21 months after the Africa Continental Free Trade Area was launched, the first intra-Africa trade under the AFCFTA took place between Kenya and Ghana. Here in Nairobi, we visited Associated Battery Manufacturers Limited, the company that exported its first locally made batteries to Ghana a few weeks ago. Taking us around the site, finance manager Nixon Paloma says the company which specializes in automotive and solar batteries, had been trading with other East and Southern African regional blocks. But this is the first trade with the West African region. As you know, one of the reasons why Africa has not been trading with itself is logistical problems, uh, tarific problems, non-tarific barriers as well. We've not been very good at um, easing the trade within intra-Africa uh, itself. So the secretariat that is managing this has come up with some rules and regulations to encourage um, manufacturers in Africa to trade with other African countries. And this is what we took advantage of. Paloma explains that getting preferential tariff rates is one of the main benefits of trading under this pilot phase. For now, for example, in Ghana, we are supposed to get 2% every year. So the duty will be lowered at the rate of 2% each year until it goes to zero. So in 10 years' time, we will be exporting goods to Ghana without any tariffs. Ghana's High Commissioner to Kenya, Damte Bejako Azare, told VOA the trial phase that started in July is a significant step toward implementation of the AFCFTA. Most of the time we have African countries, you know, coming out with a lot of flagship programs and projects, mm -hmm. but they remain in the shelves because we are waiting for everybody to get ready before we uh, roll it out. So some of us believed right from the beginning that why don't we put together countries that are ready, you know, to start trading under the CFTA? 
-hmm. so that they form something like a nucleus family of countries that still be, that believe in the vision and are ready to implement the CFTA. And I think that is exactly what has happened. We asked the ambassador about some of the challenges associated with the cost of doing business in Africa and the need to improve infrastructure. He highlighted the tariff reduction as a direct benefit under this new Pan-African deal. We have quite a number of African countries that are landlocked. So if they are going to be participating in this, how are they going to, you know, uh, participate in this exercise of trading among ourselves meaningfully? We need to improve the infrastructure. Mariama Jalo, VOA News, Nairobi, Kenya. Malawi's health ministry says it will soon roll out Africa's first malaria vaccine for children under age five. The RTSS vaccine, which was tested in Ghana, Kenya, and Malawi, took more than 30 years to develop. While the vaccine has a relatively low level of effectiveness, it has raised hopes of saving some of the more than 400,000 people who died annually from the mosquito-borne disease, most of them African children. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. The vaccine rollout scheduled for next month follows a successful completion of the pilot phase. Since 2019, the World Health Organization has vaccinated 360,000 children per year in Malawi, Ghana, and Kenya, one-third of them in Malawi. Kumbize Kandodochiponda is Malawi's Minister of Health. She says we will especially target children because we know during the rainy season in Malawi, in the months of November and December, many children suffer from malaria. Chiponda said the decision was reached following discussions which Malawian President Lazarus Chakwera had with representatives of PATH, a global health and profit organization, when he attended this year's UN General Assembly meeting in New York. The WHO endorsed the vaccine years ago, saying it was a breakthrough in the fight against malaria. The vaccine sold by GlaxoSmithKline as Mosquilix is about 30% effective and requires four doses. However, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation backers of the vaccine have raised concern whether the vaccine is worth the cost. In July, the Associated Press quoted Philip Wekhoff, director of malaria programs at the Gates Foundation, saying the foundation will no longer offer direct financial support for the short, although it will fund an alliance backing the vaccine. He said the malaria vaccine has a much lower efficacy than they would like and that the shot is relatively expensive and logistically challenging to deliver. Maziko Matemba is the health activist and the community health ambassador in Malawi. Now that uh, finally the malaria vaccine will be launched in Malawi, it's a welcome news. And uh, we hope the under five will be protected because um, according to statistics, malaria is so endemic in the under five. And also we are adding package in our prevention of malaria. Matemba says there is no need to worry about the 30% efficacy, saying not all vaccines are 100% effective. Because of a number of factors, uh, when we had the COVID vaccine, it wasn't 100%, it was at 70% or so. So it's the same in the case with this. Statistics show that malaria is the number one deadly disease in Malawi. The disease accounts for 36% of all hospital outpatients and 15% of hospital admissions. Despite its relatively low effectiveness rate, some scientists 
say the vaccine will have a major impact against malaria in Africa, which records 200 million cases and 400,000 deaths per year. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. And that's it for this Tuesday, October 11th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and red carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton Washington wishing you will have an amazing Tuesday. <laughs>